Do you think the monster drinks that you drink uh, contribute to your chattiness? No. I feel like they're not that good for you, or for your heart. Not to be judgy, but... Well, Sorry. That's a... <laughs> They just give me a little energy. That's all right. Just a little pick-me-up. It's okay. Anyway. It's okay. I have had like three cups of coffee today, so I'm not sure that's much better. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Right in front of what? Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Totally. So. I really don't think that's any better. Well, hey, welcome to the Highland Groups Cast. I'm Jeremy. I'm Emily. And today, we get to talk about addiction. How you doing, Emily? I'm doing all right. That, that, Thankful that it's not raining like it had originally forecasted. That's that's good. That's uh, You don't like rain? Are you against I it? I don't. Or? I am. I, <laughs> I like the greenness of Texas in the spring. Is that a word, greenness? But I, it's, I struggle with the, with the rain. How does the greenness of a Texas spring compare to the greenness of a Georgia spring? Well, man, you know, I don't know that you really want to hear my opinion on that, but the main difference is the fall, actually. Uh, so, yeah. So Texas is more beautiful <laughs> in the spring. Texas is strikingly beautiful in the springtime. Uh, and summer. L- strikingly lacking in the fall. <laughs> is that okay to say? I mean, we, it's have, okay. we have two seasons. We have hot. And not as hot. <laughs> this is accurate. Which is a it's a it's a blessing, I think, for many. Maybe not it's for okay. those from Georgia. Yeah. It depends on when you buy Dahlia onions and your mm, peaches and that's true. That's all I know. Summertime about peaches are the best. Yeah. All right, so we're going to talk about addiction today, mm. which which and I, feel I have like so many questions and. I know very little on the topic, <laughs> so I am excited to hear your wisdom because I know you have it, but I do have many questions for you today. I, I don't know how much wisdom <laughs> I have. I have experience mm-hmm. a little bit, like as someone who has wrestled through addiction, at least what I would call addiction, never massive chemical dependence, but um, yeah, I have. And then... Man, I, 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 think, I feel like I've said this before, but before I came here, I uh, worked at the village in Dallas. And so a lot of the stuff that when I think about addiction, uh, specifically and walking with people through addiction, I, I learned there. Um, and so a lot of the things we'll talk about today are actually mm. um, based on um, a program uh, written by a guy named Michael Snetzer, who hmm. is brilliant. Uh, and awesome. I mean, can we call him in? Like, is that allowed? <laughs> I can, Phone a friend? <laughs> <laughs> I can text him uh, and see. Uh, but uh, I no, don't know, that's awesome. Maybe. Uh, that would be fun. Like one day to have yeah. him in and to just say, I, I'm like a, uh, I'm like a Snetzer in a mirror dimly. I don't know. He's awesome. <laughs> okay. I'm not as awesome. So <laughs> that's awesome. So just to get us started, I do have a question. How would you define addictions? I know when I hear that word. I can, you know, get a little nervous about the thought of, you know, offering guidance to someone that is struggling with it because I think of, um, you know, really heavy things, you know, like uh, drug dependency or alcohol dependency or pornography or these things that, uh, you know, can honestly, it, it feels to me sometimes a little bit 
intimidating to think of offering guidance towards those things. But what would you say is a description of an addiction or a definition of one? Yeah, I mean, honestly, um, when we think through addiction, uh, we know that it's not just bad things, right? It's not mm-hmm. just cocaine and heroin and meth and you know al- alcohol abuse uh, that would qualify as addiction. Really, it is anything that masters you. And when we talk about mastering, it means that my time, my attention, my energy, my effort, my money, uh, they are going to go to that thing. That is the thing that I have to have to... Um, either make me feel a particular way or to keep me from feeling something that I don't want to feel. And so uh, when Paul, you know, when he says, I I beat my body Mm -hmm. and I make it my slave, lest uh, I disqualify myself after preaching the gospel to others, it's kind of that same idea. Um, It's who is my master. Mm -hmm. Now, you you have idolatry, right? And, And I think there's a big piece of that. In in addiction, but uh, by and large, what you find is it is something that is mastering you, that is consuming your time, consuming your thoughts, consuming your attention, consuming your resources uh, to such a degree um, that it's affecting the way that you function mm. and interact. So it's either uh, and and people will think of it this way, right? Like if you're a hardcore. Uh, meth addict, what you're thinking about in the midst of that is where am I going to get my next right. hit? Um, but if you apply that to like shopping or mm. um, or whatever mm-hmm. uh, that looks like, it's it's the same thing. I'm thinking in the mm. same way, and that and that's doing something right, accomplishing so something. You're hoping that that thing, whether it's shopping or eating or you know whatever it is, exercise, even you know even so, some of these things aren't inherently bad, you know, right. but we bring our sin with us, and I think that maybe we're looking to those things to give us joy, to give us pleasure, to give us relief or comfort, and it's always short lived. Mm-hmm. Would you say? Y- yes, absolutely. So um, the way we generally would describe it. Um, when I was working in uh, recovery ministry was this. If you want a good bead on where you are, what your addiction may be, um, it is uh, everybody, right? All of us, every single one of us. We will become irritable. We will become restless. We will become discontent. In AA, uh, they call this the cycle of addiction, right? Uh, so we become irritable, we become restless, we become discontent. When we're irritable, restless, and discontent, we will always go looking for mm. relief, right? And so the question that we will generally ask is, what do you run to when you're irritable, restless, and discontent? Uh, and, and so for some people, that's going to be drugs. For some people, that's going to be alcohol. For some people, that's going to be food. For some people, that's going to be shopping. For some people, that's going to be knitting. For some people, that's going to be exercising, <laughs> right? It, it can be anything, but they will go looking for relief. It's that thing that is, one, again, mm-hmm. either going to keep them from feeling what they don't want to feel or is going to help them feel the thing that they do want to feel. Now, when you get into like chemical dependence and um, and and alcohol like substances, it's a little different because of um, really some of the chemicals that it's releasing into your brain. But uh, if you look at a guy who looks at pornography and a guy who um, who uses cocaine, um, while those are two different things, you see in the brain some of the same things mm, happening. Interesting, right? yeah, uh, and, and so. 
uh, we become irritable, we become restless, we become discontent, and then we go looking for relief. As we're looking for relief, we know, right, in our head, like, there's this thing, and I know that I don't want to do that thing, mm. but then we see other people doing that with impunity. So if it's alcohol, right, I see somebody drinking, and they're not getting blackout drunk, right? Right. <laughs> they're not doing it, and I start to think to myself, well, maybe I can do mm. that. Maybe, maybe this time I can drink just a little bit, just to feel a little bit better, and it won't lead me to what it usually leads me to. So I begin to think, and I begin to obsess mm. about those things. And where my mind goes, my feet are absolutely going to follow. And, and so when I begin to think and obsess, then I'm going to move into that. I'm going to take that first drink, or I'm going to buy that first pair of shoes. And so whether it's a drinking spree or a shopping spree, what we find is this loss of control, and I am just in the middle of it, right? Uh, but then after that, what inevitably happens is I come out of that spree and I think, oh man, that was that was a bad idea. I said I would never do that again, and, and now I've done it. And I begin to feel bad, right? And so we begin to feel remorse. Uh, mm. We feel bad about it. Then we make resolutions. I'm never, ever, ever going to do that again. And then we become irritable, restless, and <laughs> like an amen from the peanut gallery. Then we become irritable, restless, discontent. We go looking for relief, right? We see mm. others doing the thing that we want to do with impunity. Then we begin to think and obsess, and then we hit that spree. And then we come out, and we feel bad. We feel remorse. We make resolutions that we'll never do it again. Mm. Then we feel irritable, restless, and discontent, and on mm. and on and on the cycle goes. That's Yeah, that's so good. And um, so one of my questions is, as a friend, if I'm, I'm looking at someone who, who comes to me uh, in need because they find themselves in this cycle, what is, where do you kind of, I don't know, as a, what would be your insight or your, your advice as to where you can step in um, and offer godly counsel in that cycle? Where, where are some opportunities that you would see, hey, this is an opportunity to speak God's word, God's truth into this cycle? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think um, we've actually walked pretty well through uh, a lot of the steps to that, but um, you know, one of the things that we want to encourage them with is grace and truth, right? Uh, so we step in not to uh, berate or belittle mm. or kind of destroy, like, you need to stop, right? Mm -hmm. Because that never works. Right. That absolutely never works. I can't make someone uh, want to get clean, want to uh, find help. I cannot do that. Uh, I cannot force that. Uh, and, and so, like, I, I, you know, I'll have people call me and say, like, my brother or my son or my uh, good friend, they're, they're really wrestling with addiction, and I'm just looking for some sort of help. And one of the questions that I always ask is, why is it, why are you calling mm -hmm. me? Why, why aren't they calling me? Right. Like, do they know you're calling me? Do they want that help? Uh, and they're like, well, I think they do. Mm -hmm. I think they, and I'm like, have you talked to them about it? Um, and so again, nobody is going to get clean before they're ready, right? You're not going to be able to force them to do it as right. much as you want to get clean for them. You just can't do it. Um, and so there's that piece. We want to encourage them with grace and truth. We want to speak truth to them. Uh, but then also one of the things that we want to do is we kind of want to go after their heart, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, again, I think one of the things that we said in episode one is that we always see our biggest problem as something that is outside of us and it is pressing in. Uh, but the reality is our biggest problem is inside of us and it is spilling out. And I think addiction is one of those mm -hmm. things that, um, is a, it is a symptom, right? It's not the problem. It is a problem that's pointing to a bigger issue that's inside of us, which is again, 
what is it that I'm trying not to feel or what is it that I do really want to feel that's sort of driving this addiction. So we want to speak with grace and truth. We want to understand how we go after someone's heart. And so generally for me, as I'm starting, I I want to help people in some very particular ways. Now, the reality is um, that we're not just looking for behavior modification, right? That's one of the things that we talked Mm about uh, a little earlier before we started this um, episode, but uh, it can't just be behavior modification. We know that changing someone's behavior does not necessarily change their heart. And what we see, I think, a lot of times when we do that, when we put some barriers around the thing that they really, really want is it's going to start that root is going to start cropping up and popping up in other places. Uh, And so when I was working with guys that were really struggling through pornography and we'd put uh, some strictures and some structures in place so they couldn't get to it, whether it was filters or they uh, gave up their phone or got rid of their internet or or whatever, uh, what you would find is the desire didn't go away, one, uh, and then two, it would just start popping up in other areas. So this guy is like, well, I, I can't look at pornography, and that's awesome. I haven't looked in like three weeks, but, man, I am angry all the time. Mm. I'm just mad. Or, uh, man, I haven't done this, and praise the Lord that I haven't looked at any pictures on the Internet, but I don't feel like I can get out of bed mm. a lot of days. I'm just so incredibly depressed or anxious. or And mm-hmm. so what happens is when we put the strictures and the structures around those things, when we work towards that behavior modification, what we begin to see is that root that's driving the uh, the addiction, it begins to pop up in other areas. And so, again, if we're going to be successful in helping people walk through addiction, we have to get to the root of the addiction. We have to get to the problem that's going on in their heart. And again, the thing that we would always say is that the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. Uh, and I think that's copyrighted. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Village Church. Um, uh, but again, the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. And so we want to go at the root of the addiction, not just the uh, outward behavior. Now, there are times when we need to uh, attack those outward behaviors. We need some sort of behavior modification. Like if someone is just completely out of control um, and in a healthy and a dangerous spot, then we definitely... I want to help them put some um, put some things in place to where um, they're safe. But at the end of the day, what they need more than anything is help getting to what is the root cause of this addiction. Um, because again, we, we if uh, I am addicted uh, to alcohol, right, uh, and I stop using. Um, well, that's a good thing. Like, I think everybody would look at it and go, man, that, that dude's not a fall down drunk anymore. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Um, but all of that energy, all of that effort, all of that thought, all of that that I was using on that, I replaced that with, I don't know, my job. And I'm going to throw everything into that. Um, and what I'm doing in that moment is I'm just replacing one master for another mm-hmm. master. Uh, and while I would look at me working hard at my job, um, or someone working hard at their job, and it may not look um, socially the way that drinking would be, it's still not a healthy thing. It's still, this is the thing that is now consuming all of my thought, all of my time, all of my attention to the detriment of everything else. Uh, and so what we would say is that the only one who can step in and stop that cycle um, is the one who was meant to satisfy and sustain. So when I'm using alcohol, 
I feel good for a little while, hmm. right? And then it goes away. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't sustain the way I thought it would. Uh, but what I need is someone who absolutely does satisfy, someone who absolutely does sustain. And from the Christian worldview, what we say is the only one who can do that, the only one who was ever meant to do that was Jesus. And so, um, again, it's reminding people of the gospel pointing people towards uh, the heart, not just behavior modification, mm-hmm. but actually what's the root, what's driving the addiction. And we always want to be sure that what we say is this is a symptom. This is not the issue. This is a symptom of the issue. This mm-hmm. is not the problem. It is a problem, but it is not the problem. It is a symptom. It is an outworking of the actual problem that's going on in your heart. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so good. And it does seem like, you know, when you're turning to something, and I, I know this is a little bit different, it's maybe more of a compulsion, but, uh, you know, even with, you know, disordered eating or eating disorders that often we're, you know, a person might be looking to something to to give them, you know, a sense of control or a sense of self-worth. Um, and so when they... Questions. I think you're, <laughs> I think you're on the right track, though. I mean, the or disordered... Um, affections really Mm -hmm. is what I would call it. Um, One of the things you said that I think was really good is it is that idea of control. And so Mm -hmm. one of the questions that that I'll ask people all the time is when you feel out of control, Mm. what is it that you run to? What is it that, what's the thing that you can control? And so um, so really, it's also the idol of self, right? So a lot of this is I'm using food, I'm using alcohol, I'm using these things to build up my own kingdom. Um, and so when I'm exchanging one tool, quote unquote, whether that's alcohol or shopping or food or, or whatever it is, say, okay, I'm going to put that to death. But then am I, is my heart looking to something else to build up my own kingdom, to promote myself, to, pre- to preserve my sense of control or my sense of, you know, whatever it is. Um, you know, I think that the objects that we use, you know, we don't want to exchange one object for another. Is that right? Right, right. And, yeah. and so, again, I think even um, it, it can be um, just some deep, deep idolatry. But uh, honestly, you know, when you boil all sin down to its lowest common denominator, you get one of two things. You get pride. Right, I think I make a better God than God, uh, or idolatry. I think God's creation is a better God, makes a better God mm-hmm. than God, and so the way those things work out in my heart uh, really um, begins to uh, look a lot of different ways. Right, and so if pride is um, the thing that drives me, if pri- if if my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If that's the thing that I want more than anything, then man, control is going to be a huge thing. And when I feel out of control, I will do anything that I can Mm. um, to get the feeling of control back. Or if comfort, right? Uh, I believe that what I deserve more than anything is comfort. And so if I'm uncomfortable in any moment, I'm going to look for something that's going to bring me comfort or power. If power is the thing that uh, I believe that I deserve and I, and I want more than any other thing, then when I feel powerless, then there's going to be something that I run to that I do have power over. Uh, and so, again, mm-hmm. as we think through addiction, really thinking through those, uh, those idols of the heart, I think mm-hmm. is, you know, Elise Fitzpatrick, uh, counselor and author, she wrote a book called The Idols of the Heart. And, and when you look at those things, most of them aren't like cocaine. Right, or, right. right? It, it, it's... Uh, power, comfort, mm-hmm. control, 
um, those types of things that are these deep idols. These are the things that I deserve, as, and these are the things that I place over and above my affection for the Lord. And it all has to do with who's sitting on the throne of my life. Mm. Am I sitting on the throne of my life? And especially for the believer, uh, is Jesus sitting there or am I sitting there? Um, and the hard part is, is we serve a God who's really good and really gracious, and He knows that our greatest good is Him. So He will not allow us, right? Mm. Uh, if He is kind, and I believe that it is, He will not allow us to place something lesser on the throne of our lives. And so, um, again, as we're kind of digging into people's hearts, it's helping them see like what's what's sitting on the throne of your heart and sitting on the throne of your life. No, that's so good. Um, one of the things that I've I've recognized in myself and um, you know and in others is that with the with any kind of idolatry, there's often this desire to be rid of being held captive by it, but we don't want to totally eradicate it, right? We don't want to totally get rid of it. And so uh, it's kind of like Israel um, in the book of Judges, where God told them to completely wipe out the inhabitants of the land, right? But they decided, you know what? No, these people are kind of useful to us. You know, we're finding these people are carrying our water for us. They're doing this or that. But there was a reason why God told them to completely uh, wipe out the inhabitants. And it was because he didn't want them to be held captive captive by them. And that's inevitably what happened to the people of Israel was that they entered this cycle of, um, you know, they, they didn't totally obey God by, um, you know, by following his, uh, his commands to, to do that. And so they ended up being held captive by those inhabitants and becoming enslaved by them. And I think that often happens with us with sin, where we don't necessarily have the desire to totally wipe out uh, our idols. We don't have the desire to destroy them because we see still there's a piece of us that thinks there's something that idol can give me that God is not giving me. There's something that that thing, that action, that attitude, that um, that person, whatever it is, there's something about that that is providing for me um, and building up my kingdom, and I don't want to totally eradicate it. I want to still be in control of that thing, and I can handle it. You know, I think, okay, I can handle it. You know, I can, but inevitably, I guess this is kind of that cycle, right, where um, inevitably, you know, we we become enslaved, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's what we see in Genesis 3, right? The lie mm-hmm. that we believed in the garden, right? Did God really say that in the day that you eat of it, uh, you will die? No, he didn't. Uh, he, he didn't say we couldn't uh, eat of any tree in the garden. He said we couldn't eat of this specific one. In the day that we do it, then we'll surely die. And then he just goes straight to, you will not surely die because God knows that in the day that you eat of it, you will be like him. And so from that day forward, that's been our main issue, right? Mm. Like God is withholding something from me, some pleasure, some um, some happiness, something that I want, and he's doing it not because he's good or he knows what's best for me. He's withholding that from me because he doesn't want me to be like him. He knows that I make a better God than he does. And so it really is that lie in the garden that we pursue all the time. I make a better God than God. I know what I need more than the one who created me. And so I'm going to chase and pursue that in a lot of times um, to the exclusion and detriment of every other thing in my life, whether it's friends or family or jobs, whatever that is, I'm going to chase that thing because I know I know that's the thing that will finally satisfy and sustain me. Hmm. Um, and what we find over and over is, though the evidence is completely contrary to that, 
everything that we find is destruction and pain at the other end of it, there's something in our mind, something in our heart that still says mm. he can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. He He's not good. He's not kind. He's not gracious. He's withholding. And, and we believe that lie, right? The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, and he will do everything he can to steal, kill, and destroy our affection for the Lord. our fan- He hates us, right? He hates us. And what he wants more than anything is our destruction. And when we believe those lies, we actually become the ones who are chasing our destruction and ushering it in. Uh, and so we need to help people see that, man, there's one who satisfies, one who sustains, one who brings hope, one who brings peace, one who brings healing, and that is Jesus Christ alone. We're not going to find it in sex. We're not going to find it in drugs. We're not going to find it in alcohol. We're not going to find it in money. We're not going to find it in any other thing because what we inevitably find is how much money is enough money? How much sex mm-hmm. is enough sex? How much cocaine is enough cocaine? How much pornography is enough pornography? How much is enough? And I think a really great indicator is you always need more and more and more and more to get the same result, mm-hmm. um, which yeah, more and more and more Jesus means that we are looking more and more and more like mm-hmm. Jesus. And so we find that longing and that desire to be changed. But when we look for it in something else, right, mm-hmm. what we find is um, just hurt and pain and death, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, yeah, no, that's so good. Earlier, <clears throat> this is the last question I have for you, but uh, earlier you had mentioned that uh, when someone is in, you know, that cycle of addiction and is trapped, um, that often that that person can't, you, we can't just go to that person and create a desire for them in them for change, right? We can't force someone uh, to have a heart change about their situation. How do we recognize um, godly sorrow in someone, you know, when they come to us in, conf- in confession and a desire for repentance and, and practically what are some steps uh, that we can take to kind of walk with them through that graciously to say, hey, I'm not going anywhere. You know, I am staying because I love you. I am involved in your life, but I am going to be intolerant of your sin. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be gracious and stay put because I love you. Um, but how do we walk with them uh, without erring on that side of behavioral modification? Does that make sense? So what are some practical steps, tips that you would give to someone? Yeah. Um, and so I, I think... You know, what we see in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians, uh, would say that um, there are two types of sorrow, right? There's a worldly sorrow that leads to death, and then there is a godly sorrow that leads to repentance and salvation without regret, right? And so the trying to parse out, man, what is a worldly sorrow that's going to lead someone to death, and what is a godly sorrow that leads to salvation without regret? What does that look like? I think we see a good... Um, picture of that in the prodigal, right? The mm. prodigal son, uh, Luke 15. Although that's actually about two prodigals, but one no. specifically <laughs> who kind of runs away, right? And, and so you've got the younger son who um, goes to his father and says, basically, I hate you. I wish you were dead. Mm. But since you're not, why don't you give me what's mine? Um, and I'm going to go do the thing that I would do if you were dead, but you're not. So just give me what's mine. And, and so you hear like kind of the arrogance and mm. just the... Um, um, the indifference towards the father in that statement. Uh, and then he takes everything that he has, he squanders it, he finds himself in a pig pen longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs are eating. And then the scriptures say that he comes to himself, right? Mm. And when he comes to himself, he starts to think, man, uh, 
look at everything that my father's servants have, right? Uh, look at what they have. Uh, they have everything they need. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to tell him I'm no longer worthy mm. to be called your son. Will you treat me as one of your hired servants? And, and so you look at the two positions of heart and one is I wish you were dead and so give me what's mine and then man I am no longer even worthy mm. to be called your I'm not I'm not worthy that those are two distinctly different positions of heart yeah. one is That's a supernatural change <laughs> yeah absolutely um and, and so you see this change of heart you see this change of direction you see even this change of behavior and so I, I think what i try and get across to people all the time is as you continue to pursue the lord you continue to press into him you continue in a repentance um a godly repentance that leads well a godly sorrow that leads to repentance and salvation without regret you will see things change now will they change immediately not necessarily you hear those stories right like i was an alcoholic mm. for 20 years mm. and then jesus saved me and i never right. wanted to take another drink that's awesome you hear those stories but by and large most people that's not their story i was an alcoholic and jesus saved me and i woke up the next morning and i really wanted mm -hmm. a drink right right um and so the beauty of the process of sanctification is is the promise that where jesus found you he's not going to leave mm -hmm. you and so uh from one degree of glory to the next he's absolutely changing you but I th that leads to um, a salvation without regret that leads to repentance, you'll see them willing to walk through whatever, mm, right? I just yes. want more of him. I just need more of him. Uh, and so there's no arrogance there. It's I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to lay down control. Mm, I'm going to lay down power. I'm going to lay down comfort mm. to chase after Jesus. Now, that worldly sorrow, it can look similar in, in a lot of ways, right? You can see tears, you can see snot, right. you can see all of those mm -hmm. things, but at the end of the day, everything is kind of veiled, right? right. Uh, and so, I'm sorry you were offended by what I did, mm. right? It's not, right. I mean, I'm sorry that, that what I did was so incredibly offensive. Mm. I'm sorry that what I did was so incredibly hurtful for to you, but it was, and I'm sorry you were offended. And so, right, like it just kind of throws yeah. it on to you, like you're the one with the problem. But I'll apologize because I think that's what you mm. need me to do. Um, it, 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 but tends, godly sorrow seems to own the the sin, right? I feel like absolutely. when I, you know, you see that sense of humility of, you know, what this was, this was me. I did this, and then I love what you said about the willingness to do whatever it takes to be restored to a right relationship with the Lord and with others. And um, no, that's that's so good, right? And, and then yeah, so there's a lot of blame shifting in a worldly sorrow, like. You know, I know that I did this, but if you hadn't have done this, then I probably wouldn't have. But I'm sorry that I did that, right? But right. so basically, it's your fault that I did it. Mm. Uh, but I'm gonna be the big one here, and I'm gonna apologize, which is a, a really, really hard thing. Um, it is a selfish sort of repentance. Um, it is a repentance that's not concerned, or sorry, it is a sorrow that is not concerned um, with others, but it is fully consumed with self. Like mm. I. I'm sad about what this has cost me, um, but I'm not necessarily, I don't have a problem with what I've done. I have a problem with what it's cost me. Uh, again, on the other side of that, it's the seeing like, no, this is why, this is why it cost me this. I, I definitely can understand it. And 
And that's the cost of sin. Sin has a really high price. Addiction has a really mm-hmm. high price. When I'm consumed with something and it has all of my affection and all of my attention and all of my devotion and all of my worship, again, if God is good and I believe he is, he will not allow us to give something that belongs only to him because he is our greatest good to something else because he knows that's horrible for us, right? Um, and as we chase those things, what we find at the bottom of that is just a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, and a lot of death. And until we hit the bottom of that, and so you hear uh, in AA circles, things like that, where they always talk about rock bottom. And the reality is it's just true. Until we've come to the end of ourselves and we find... Um, Right, it's the whole. Have you ever seen a Knight's Tale? Uh, no, actually, I haven't. <laughs> have you not? <laughs> no, oh gosh, it's not great. great I know. Um, there's one scene where um, the main guy gets knocked off his horse by the bad guy, right? And uh, the bad guy's like standing over him and he says, You've been weighed, you've been measured, and you've been found wanting. I think when we come to the end mm. of ourselves, that's kind of the thing that uh-huh. rings in our head. We have been weighed, we have been measured, and we have been found wanting. Mm. But the beauty of a savior who has been weighed and who has been measured and who has been found lacking in nothing Mm. um, is is the thing that will kind of pull us up, right? And so when the Psalms say, you found me in the pit, in the quagmire, and and you lifted me up, you don't see it very often, whereas I was down in the pit and I was down in the quagmire and (laughs) and I clawed my way out of it. Um, now, secularly, you'll find people that believe that you can do that, but at the end of the day, again, it's trading that one addiction for a new addiction, trading one God for another. And so if we want to put a finer point on it, it's not one master for another master, it's one God for another God. Hmm. What we know is that hero is real, your God, the Lord, he is, he is one, and there are none others. And he may talk about all of these other gods, but at the end of the day, what he's talking about uh, are those idols made of silver and gold and the ones who serve them they become like them they have eyes and don't see they have ears and don't hear they have mouths and don't speak they have hands and they do nothing they have feet and they don't move what they need is someone to serve them and to clean them and to feed them our god is distinctly different right he doesn't dwell in temples made by the hands of men nor does he need anything uh, nor is he served by the hands of men as if he needed anything right And so when we come to the end of ourselves and what we find in front of us is a big God who is lacking in nothing, who doesn't need our help and who can absolutely pull us up out of the pit, then we find hope, right? Then we can find healing. Then our hearts begin to change because we know that it's not my strength and not my might that's going to get me through this, but it is the strength and the power and the grace and the mercy of the Lord that will allow me to fight this battle um, because I know that even when I fail, right, even mm. in relapse, that I don't have to run away from the Lord because I'm afraid he's going to wash his hands on me. But what I find when I um, have a godly sorrow, right, that leads to life, repentance, and salvation without regret is that I will find a God who is absolutely gracious, absolutely merciful, one who says that that's, that's what I paid mm-hmm. for. My son paid for that. Uh, and so he he welcomes us, right, in our repentance. Um, and so we uh, confess our sins one to another so that we can be healed. There's nowhere in the scriptures where it says run away when you sin, right? Run away so you can find hope and healing. It says run to him. And so, um, but that comes to, um, that's only found in coming mm. to the end of us and yeah 
finding a big God there, which is why I hate, right? I hate the money. Like God's never going to give you anything more than you can bear because it's such heresy, right? (laughs) Maybe heresy is the wrong word, but it's, uh, uh, it's only, well, I guess according to the Bible, that's wrong, right? (laughs) If God is gracious and I believe that he is, he will absolutely give us more than we can bear, but he will never give us more than he can bear. Mm. Right. Um, and so bringing us to the end of ourselves is I think one of the most gracious things that God can do. Um, and, what the beauty of the scriptures is, and I think the beauty of the experience of many within uh, Highland and the church at large is what we find at the end of ourselves is um, a God who is uniquely able, who is uniquely powerful, who is uniquely um, kind, who is uniquely compassionate, uh, and who is, um, hmm. I guess I said uniquely able, but who is uniquely able to change and transform our hearts. Um, Mm. but a lot of that has to do with submission, right? Am I willing to give over that control? Am I willing to give over that power? Am I willing to give over that comfort to a God who is absolutely trustworthy? Um, but that's kind of working that out in my heart and my mind that that's a reality and that he's not withholding some joy or some pleasure from me. For sure. No, that is so good. I love that. And, um, you know, hopefully the Lord will, you know, train us as his people to to emulate him in those ways and to direct people's hearts and minds to him right when they do have that godly sorrow when he has um when they have reached the end of themselves so yeah any other thoughts jeremy yeah i mean honestly it's just uh i know that we're coming out of a season where um isolation has been a really big thing i mean i was reading an article and said that Alcohol, uh, the purchase of alcohol has gone up 291%. Mm. Oh, my 291%. And it doesn't mean that everybody who's out there buying uh, beer uh, is an alcoholic or or whatever. But at the end of the day, what you'll find a lot of addiction specialists saying is like, this is going to be a horrible time. You're going to see addiction increase. People seeking treatment, uh, it will increase. And so I'll say if you're out there and you're listening – uh, and you're struggling with addiction in isolation, or you're walking with someone who is struggling, man, you can email me, jeremy-daniel at highlandbc.org, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I would love to talk with you and walk with you how you might engage uh, people you love or how you might find some freedom. And so, um, yeah. Awesome. I love yeah. it. But isolation bad right mm-hmm. um i guess the whole premise of this entire podcast is um <laughs> the context of community mm. um there's something about having others who know you who love you who are willing to walk with you that's incredibly important and the hard part is you can't battle addiction in the dark you have to drag it into the light and there's a lot of fear always about people dragging that into the light because they're concerned about what people might think what they might say Uh, And and so, again, I I don't think you have to share it with everyone, but you need to share it with someone. Awesome. All right. All right. Well, I'm Jeremy. I'm Emily. And we'll catch you next time.